Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. First up on the show, we'll update you on Pope Francis's health. He's canceled all of his public meetings since Thursday because he was feeling under the weather. After that, we'll talk about the Vatican's new task force on preventing sexual abuse. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Cherry. Good afternoon from a very cold and wet Rome, Colleen. All right, let's get started with our first story. Uh, Pope Francis was feeling under the weather starting last week. He canceled his public audiences from Thursday through Sunday, and he made his first public appearance on Sunday to address crowds in St. Peter's Square from his window. Now, the Vatican was saying that the Pope had a slight indisposition, but they've confirmed today, Tuesday, March the 3rd, that the Pope does not have the coronavirus. This was a source of uh, concern, especially uh, it came up in the Italian press who published some unsubstantiated reports uh, that he had been tested for coronavirus. We don't know if he was tested, but we do know from the Vatican that he does not have the coronavirus. So, Jerry, uh, let's talk about how this coronavirus concern has affected the city of Rome, though. Uh, Can you kind of paint a picture for us of how this has affected the city? Yesterday morning, I walked past the Saint Louis de France, which is the main French church in Rome. And it's also the church where the famous Caravaggio painting of the call of St. Matthew. Oh, we went there together when I was in Rome, right? We did, and this is the one that Pope Francis likes very much. And I saw on the front church three notices on each of the doors of the church saying that by instruction from the embassies, the embassy to Italy and the embassy to the Holy See, the French embassies, they have closed this precautionary measure. Everybody was a little shocked by this. Because uh, people think back to the Middle Ages when the churches remained open during the uh, plague. And the Church of St. Louis of France will open, reopen on Wednesday. But uh, the people are a little shocked because they say, we know we're afraid of this. But when the church shows its fear in this way, it really leaves us with little defense. Ah, So they think the churches should stay open. Yes, and I think this is why also the Pope Francis yesterday insisted on coming. I was told from uh, people would have his advisors would have wished he did not come to the window on the third floor of the Apostolic Palace to speak and spend about seven minutes there. It was very cold, and you could see if you watch the the Pope's window, you could see the curtains blowing. Right, maybe not the best place for a sick person. Really, it was. it's clear that he's not fully recovered, because he coughed uh, a few times during the... His voice was strong, he was looking well, but the good news, which he announced as bad news, he said, unfortunately, I'm not going to join the Roman Curia officials for the retreat outside Rome. Had he gone, it would have meant he'd have gone up to the hills where it was cold and damp and really not the place for a person who's got any type of cold or sickness. Uh, Jerry, we've talked before about how, you know, Francis doesn't often take vacations. We did a whole podcast episode on this that that I can link to. Um, 
And it seemed like he was also kind of working through several of these sick days as well. He uh, he met with the major archbishop of the Greek Catholic Church in the Ukraine, as well as the papal ambassadors to France and Lebanon. And he had his usual meeting with Cardinal Ouellette. So I don't know. Is this normal for him? Have we have we seen him work through sick days before? Is this what he usually does? Well, uh, this says two things. First of all, that his sickness is not so serious. Mm -hmm. Because if it were, he would not want to be with people. Secondly, I think it can positively exclude that he has coronavirus because he would not be with people without a mask. And we saw photos of him looking quite happy and without a mask with the uh, major archbishop of the Ukraines, the guy of the Greek Catholic Church in the Ukraine. So it's good news that, but uh, yes, Francis doesn't like stopping work. He's often said, you know, I'm a certain age, the clock is going, and so the older you get, the more you've got to move forward with speed to get things done. Yeah, I find this kind of impressive because he's, I mean, he's an 83-year-old man. I'm 25, and I, uh, I, I definitely, you know, just don't do anything when I have a cold. <laughs> Yes, but I, I think there's another aspect here, Colleen. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that his coming out on the balcony yesterday, on the, at the window yesterday was an encouragement to people. There's a lot of fear around now here. We have 1,835 positive cases and 52 deaths from coronavirus. In Italy, right? In Italy. And there's a lot of fear among people. Yeah, today, outside Rome, they've closed the school because a police officer, a carabinieri, had uh, contracted it and his wife, but none of his children. But since the children go to one of the schools, they've closed the school. And you mentioned in your article that even there's, there's fewer people showing up to the uh, St. Peter's Square audiences, right? Yeah. And yesterday, you could see that the numbers are down. The hotels, the tourist agencies are saying... 40% of the traffic uh, to Italy has been cancelled. So the Pope's appearing at the balcony yesterday was an encouragement to people. Because he, he was saying, one, here I am. I'm not like some of the wires are saying. And uh, yes, I've got a cold. And he, he admitted publicly, the Vatican were calling it uh, uh, a light indisposition, mm -hmm. which could be anything. And he said, I, I've got a cold common cold, and you could hear that he also had a deep cough. Now, we think he's on the tail end of it, right? He's, he's doing better? I presume so. We, we don't have a daily bulletin because it's, nobody thinks he's that uh, case. And I think it's a great thing. This week, he's following the retreat from Santa Martin by, I think, video link up, and he has no audiences. And everybody in the Vatican is delighted that he is enforced week of prayer and rest and reflection without any public audiences or private audiences. All right. I want to ask you about one of those uh, public audiences that was canceled. This was the one that a lot of people were uh, really anticipating. This was his meeting that was coming up with the leadership of the Legionaries of Christ. Um his talk that he was going to give them, he, he wasn't able to attend the meeting, but he had a talk that was delivered on his behalf. Can you talk a little bit about what he said to them? You know, they had the, the legionaries, as we said in the recent program, they had their uh, general chapter. They elected a new leader, 
one who had not been working with Massiel, the American John Connor. Mm-hmm. But also the lay branch had their assemblies. The lay branch is quite big. The, the legionary is about just under a, a thousand priests. Francis spoke to them very clearly. He spoke about the criminal behavior of their founder. He said that there was a charism given by God, but he, in a way, twisted that charism. He managed to make himself a point of reference through an illusion he created with his double life. Then he said, the second thing Francis was said, look, you've engaged now in uh, the church intervened when it realized the situation, and now you've engaged in a reform process. But he says, you can't look back except to the fact that God has been helping you. Yeah, he's saying that Maciel is not an example that they should keep trying to imitate now. Absolutely. It was, it was crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And then he told them, you know, you've got a lot of work still to do. Right. And everybody realizes that the reform is on the way, but it really needs much more before you can say the legionaries are reformed. And Francis was saying, you've got to continue with that and seriously. All right, so we will link to reporting on Francis's comments, which were his most extensive comments to date on the Legionaries. Uh, we'll link to a write-up of that speech in the show notes. And also you can find Jerry's reporting on Pope Francis's cold and any updates on that here on Inside the Vatican and at americamagazine.org. For our second story, the Vatican has announced that it's creating a new task force that will help bishops' conferences that haven't yet developed sexual abuse reporting systems to get those systems in place. This commission includes a lot of the Vatican's point people on combating abuse, including Prosecutor Archbishop Charles Shakluna and Jesuit Father Hans Zollner, who runs the Center for Child Protection. Um, All of the top organizers of last year's Vatican Summit on combating sexual abuse are on the new task force. So, Jerry, the Vatican says this task force is being set up in response to um, requests that came in from last year's abuse summit, where some dioceses said they need help getting systems in place. I'm wondering, like, what dioceses are these? Well, Colleen, there are a number of, uh, in Africa and some parts of Asia, you don't have human resources to do a lot of things. When we went to Mozambique and Madagascar last year with the Pope, we saw, and I spoke to some of the priests, they don't have electricity. They have generators that provide power some days in the week. They have limited number of priests. They don't have trained canon lawyers, etc. So to request standards that are of the United States, where you have all the economic possibilities, you have the human resources, the lawyers, all this. Many of these churches don't have any of that. And so the task force, the names you mentioned, these are supervising, and they're going to supervise and guide and help, but they will draw also on specialists. They're not going to do all the work. So, you know, we're getting at the the reason that these guidelines haven't yet been met um, or that these systems haven't yet been put in place in these places is is for a lack of resources. You know, I'm wondering 
how is it going to work? And maybe you don't have an answer to this question, but but how's this going to work? You know, if if these places still lack resources once they're set in place to keep them going, they will provide guidelines. I think very soon I was told we will get the handbook. This will be in that you've often asked me on this program when it's coming. I I, I reckon within a few weeks we will have it. Certainly within a month. Yeah, but my question was about the the resources, right? The people. Now, the, 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 that's one resource. Because it will have up-to-date legislation, it will have up-to-date, it will explain to people. And then the the supervisory team will be able to get people to go in and talk to the bishops. I mean, Hans Solner goes around the world doing this. And uh, they will be able to get also people perhaps from nearby countries to, to go in. Some bishops think the problem doesn't really exist in their country. But uh, at the meeting last year here in Rome, it was made clear that this is a global problem, not just a local problem in some areas of the world. And so people are also being brought up to speed. It's a very, very broad effort that's underway. And I, I think to say it's come too late, maybe, but it's happening. And this is a very strong signal of the commitment of the Pope but also of the wish of the bishops around the world to eliminate this problem from the church's body. Um, Jerry, you mentioned the critique that some have raised about you know it, it coming a little bit late. I feel like we should clarify what standards we're, we're talking about here because we had you know, the release of um, Vos Estes Lux Mundi, which was the Vatican law saying, hey, you're all going to have... Um, reporting hotlines in place we're going to have this system where you know the metropolitan the regional bishop uh kind of is the person who you then report you know any abuse by a bishop or cover it by a bishop too but in this case we're talking about the 2011 guidelines right that these dioceses in different places are not yet in in line with is that is that correct can you explain kind of the distinction I, I think we have to see it in broader to say it is just 2011, that they're not up to date. That, that, that's to misread the thing. They're all building on top of each other. And this is why the Vada Mecum that's going to come in a few weeks is, is very important, because it packages the whole thing. The Vos Estes, the You're the Light of the World document, which uh, Pope Francis issued on the 9th of May 2019, what's the bottom line there? It says that everybody is responsible for denouncing everybody in the church, from the cardinal, the bishop, the priest, the religious head, the school teacher. Everybody who is part of the church has a responsibility to denounce abuse, and the channels for doing so are indicated. So it's making everybody co-responsible, and it's putting very heavy pressure on the bishops and the heads of religious orders. And they say, you can be removed from your office if you neglect to take action or if you cover up. It's quite strong. And now people say, well, what is the penalty for not doing it? Well, one of the penalties is the removal from office. This issue is now a priority in the pontificate. And the evidence that it's a priority is that you have the, this team that's overseeing it, and you have a team inside the Vatican that has been set up to ensure that the Vatican offices are actually taking action as they should be instead of ignoring the cases. No, and, and it's definitely a sign of progress, like one that we 
you know, are having this global conversation in which we've kind of gotten everyone onto the same page or are maybe at the tail end of getting everyone on the same page. But the fact that this is a global issue after, you know, we heard for so long that it was just a problem of the English speaking world. And also, you know, it seems like a sign of progress that these these dioceses are asking the Vatican for help and the Vatican saying, okay, yeah, we'll do something about it. That is hopeful. Yes, and it, I mean, to have this task for working, you need some money, and that, that's being got as well. So, you know, the, but I, I think you're right. I, I think what needs to be told is what's happening without hiding the limitations. Things should be happening quicker. Cases should be cleared quickly. But uh, I think in a few more years, we will see that there's a real shift, a real consolidated effort across the Catholic Church on this, such as there is nowhere else in the world. All right, we will keep our listeners up to date on all of the follow-up from the Sexual Abuse Summit and the Vatican's ongoing efforts to get everyone on the same page and following the same guidelines on the uh, prevention of sexual abuse here on Inside the Vatican and in Jerry's coverage at americamagazine.org. Before we go, just a couple of quick updates. Uh, on Monday, March 2nd, the Vatican archives of Pope Pius XII have now been opened to pre-approved scholars. Um, it will take some time for us to learn what these scholars are discovering in these now-opened archives, but in the meantime, our listeners can hear our episode from last year on what might be in those archives and why the Vatican has decided to open them now uh, at the link in our show notes. For a second update, the renowned Nicaraguan poet and liberation theologian Ernesto Cardinal died at the age of 95. Um, Cardinal was a priest who became actively involved in the left-wing Sandinista regime of Daniel Ortega in the late 1970s. And Jerry, I mean, you've been published, er, covering the Vatican long enough to remember when he was publicly scolded by John Paul II for getting involved in politics. Can you talk about that? Yes, I remember when uh, John Paul II arrived in Nicaragua. And uh, the government ministers came to the airport with others. And Ernesto Cardinal, when the Pope was coming to him, went down on his knee and uh, wanted to kiss the Pope's hand. And John Paul II pulled back his hand and started wagging his finger at him and told him he has to reconcile himself with the church first. And uh, th that offended a lot of people. Now, uh, the, from John Paul II's point of view, uh, Cardinal was going with uh, political force that was deep in uh, the uh, Marxist approach and analysis. And for a pope who'd come from communist Eastern Europe, this was the worst possible thing he could be doing. Secondly, he didn't think a priest should be a minister of government. And so he was suspended from Divinis. Right. And now uh, he was he was restored before his death to, to priestly ministry, right, by Francis? Yes, sometime back Francis, who obviously looked at things slightly different to John Paul II, because Francis was Latin American, he removed the censure on uh, Cardinal, and uh, so he was restored him to the ministry. And I think this was went down very well in many places. But th th these are questions which obviously got linked up with also the uh, political world. And uh, I think he, in the later life, he criticized very strongly 
Daniel Ortego for the really authoritarian line that he has taken in Nicaragua. And he was not afraid to say this out publicly as well. So I think he was a man who was a man of integrity. I think he was a deeply spiritual man. And uh, I think uh, he inspired a lot of people. Other people, of course, he upset a lot. But uh, this is sometimes the nature of Christians who take strong stances in life. Mm -hmm. I actually was just uh, at the Catholic Worker a few weeks ago here in New York, and they were we were reading some of his poetry, and uh, one of the people there remembered when he came to visit Dorothy Day, who was a similar Christian who took a, a hard stance and you know upset some people as well. But yeah, the two of them were were big fans of one another, and they got to know each other well. All right, Jerry, I appreciate the chance to get to talk with you this week. Um, I know that it's been a crazy week at the Vatican, and uh, I look forward to talking with you next week. Well, thank you very much, Colleen. I think we are going to have a quiet week here this week. They're all on retreat, and the Pope is on retreat, so we don't, apart from something uh, not on the horizon yet, we, we expect a very tranquil week, and so wish all our listeners an enjoyable listening to our program and I hope they're getting some benefit from it. Alright, if you are one of those listeners and if you're enjoying uh, the show, if you've learned something new, leave us a, a rating and a review. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Shirt studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next week. <laughs>